Hi, we're the Misery Machine. I'm Yergi. And I'm Drew B. And we're here on location in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Or else you would think that. It's actually a sand pit <laughs> in Auburn, Maine. But we are covering a case in Albuquerque. And that's the Gurley Chew Hassenkoft case. Yeah, this is a really weird one. This was a listener suggestion from YouTube, so thank you so much. Yes, thank you, MD Jensen, in the comments that gave us this case, because I hadn't heard of this prior. I had heard about this. I did not know what we were getting into until we started actually doing the research. It's very wacky. This was a trip. Yes, it's one of the most ridiculous villains of a character that you could imagine in a true crime case. So if you're listening on YouTube, please hit like and subscribe. We just passed 4,200 subscribers, so thank you to everyone thank for the help. Thank you so much. But without further ado... Girly Chew. Girly Chew was born on August 27, 1963, in the Southeast Asian country of Malaysia. During a trip to the United States in the early 1990s, she met a man by the name of Dyson Hassenkoft while visiting SeaWorld. So the two hit it off and they began to write letters back and forth to one another, kind of like pen pals. Gurley moved to the U.S. and married Dyson in 1992. Apparently he gave her a engagement ring that was over $7,500 and that's back in 90s money. And they were married after she had already been here for only two weeks. So some conflicting reports claim this all happened in 1993, but most of the sources I found said 1992. So the couple resided on the 3900 block of Moon Street in Albuquerque, New Mexico, where Gurley was employed as a bank teller at the Bank of New Mexico. But it was not a happy marriage. So in January of 1999, Gurley moved out of the couple's home and relocated to an apartment in the 8400 block of Spain Road and filed for divorce after Dyson had threatened to kill her. She knew that Dyson was unfaithful during the course of their marriage, and Gurley told authorities that Dyson became enraged when she confronted his previous girlfriend, and that girlfriend decided to end their affair. So this is a girl that worked at Supercuts that Gurley went in and informed her what had happened. My understanding is that the mistress kept Gurley's statement to herself and her identity anonymous, but Dyson still figured it out and physically assaulted her. So after all this, Gurley told a co-worker and an FBI agent who was investigating Dyson's exploits that he had repeatedly threatened to kill her. She told her co-worker to contact authorities and ask them to investigate Dyson if anything happened to her. I believe her exact words were, If anything happens to me, Dyson killed me. Gurley said that she suspected he had smashed her car's windshield on two occasions after she moved out of their house. She began taking karate lessons, some say it's boxing lessons, for self-defense. And yes, you did hear correctly an FBI agent who was investigating Dyson. Because this wasn't just any old domestic abuse case, as horrible as that was, but Dyson, a very well-known con man. So it should be noted that this case is extremely confusing based on all of Dyson's different schemes, all of the different stories and cast of characters that go along his, with this. His many mistresses. His many mistresses. And it seems like anytime you try to research this, whether you're looking at news articles, other podcasts, books, just different information pertaining to this case, it's all just a little bit different. So there's a really good book out there called September Sacrifice by Mark Horner 
This gentleman got into very, very great detail about the case. So if you want to learn more about this, I highly recommend checking this book out. Yeah, he spent years piecing through information and there is a lot of varied things. So that book goes far more into depth from what I understand. But with that out of the way. So Dyson-Hassenkoft wasn't Dyson-Hassenkoft's. He was actually born to Armand Chavez in Houston, Texas on March 5th of 1965, and he had an extensive history, as Drew said, as a con artist. It is said that in high school, he sustained a severe head injury, ended up with a TBI. Some said he became a sociopath, and his half-brother actually claims that the entire Chavez family was extremely manipulative. Perfect so, storm of things, it sounds like. Right, so you got a manipulative person, sociopathy injury. Yes. He claimed to be a former CIA scientist and also a medical doctor. He falsely claimed that he was a thoracic surgeon with degrees from the University of Tokyo, Stanford, and Cornell Medical College. But in reality, he was expelled from medical school. Other sources have actually stated he didn't get in at all. He had an undergraduate's degree, but when he actually tried to get into medical school, everybody turned him down. That's and, what I read, too. And he couldn't handle it. He just, like, freaked out that nobody wanted him. So now you have somebody also with a superiority complex and is wondering why no one will listen to him and why nobody wants him. Following all of this, he ended up changing his name to Dyson-Hassenkoft from Armin Chavez, and he ended up marrying Gurley Chu. Around this time as well, he ended up at UC Berkeley and he went and told his professor, Charles Grissom, that his wife and child had died in a car crash. Professor Grissom didn't seem to think that this was plausible and he wasn't really coming across as a man who was rife with tragedy or depressed. So he ended up looking into this and found out that this wasn't the case at all. So from what I understand, Diazin started planting all these letters around the campus or in his office that was from his wife, wanting him to come home. And then he'd plant one being like, no, I can't. This is my calling. Really bizarre stuff. And then from what I understand, he ended up leaving Berkeley and taking off with a bunch of vials of his, his fellow classmates' blood. Yeah, and this thing of taking blood, this has been something he had done for a very long time. I guess even in his teenage years, mm -hmm. he would take blood out of himself in his bathtub. Yes. And he had this tendency with his former, his ex-wives, ex-lovers. He would take their blood and keep their blood in vials. It was just something that he did. Cancer patients who he was scamming, which we'll get into. Yeah, I feel bad because it's not necessarily funny but it's it's just crazy it's to think that he, he did all this he he took blood from them mm -hmm. too yeah he had a first wife named rosemary guerrero before Gurley, who he had a kid with who he abandoned yeah she said he was pulling blood in his tub there was a woman named Polly Young in the late 80s who was a wealthy heiress. She hired him to be a life assistant, help her shop and write her checks out and just do basic day-to-day -day things. He actually tried to poison her with arsenic and her squash. He never had charges no. against him for whatever reason. But by the way, this dude looks like a stereotypical nerd. 
Yeah. I don't know. And I'm He's not... five foot four also, which, by the way, I'm not body shaming, but, no. you, you know, like... Like, you, you'd think that there's this charming man who is... I don't know how any... And I'm not trying to victim shame here, but I don't know how anybody was believing his he, he craziness. Was this, he was this tiny, weaselly man. He was not imposing in stature at all. With beady eyes. I hear, you know, last podcast said he had beautiful hair. He does kind of have beautiful hair, uh, depending on how, like, he grew it out down to his shoulders when he was in trial. There's one picture of him. He's just got this flowing long hair. It it's actually, like salt and pepper. It actually looked pretty good. It is good. kind of cool looking. But there is pictures of him where it's just like, uh. So in this case, we're probably going to be making fun of him a lot. I, I want I want to have fun a little bit in this case. It's, you know, it's a very sad case, does, but he's fun to make fun does of. Does anyone remember the old meme? This is back from the early 2000s where somebody made this old GeoCities page and it's this picture of this not very good looking kid and his voice plays saying hello my future girlfriend this is what I sound like Dyson looks like that kid he sounds like that kid he sounds very weaselly yes <laughs> I'm going to try to find some of the court interviews so we can hear oh him. Oh my god. We can play it like midway through the episode. He he gives that final boss at the end of the video game speech before you fight him. Just weird, weird so, stuff. So talking about his weird name, this Diazin Hassenkoft. Well, he decided this was some sort of hybrid Japanese German name and he picked them because he felt like he was the master race. Yeah, he thought that Germans and Japanese together were the absolute master race, which I don't... I don't see the Japanese in this name at all, but yeah, anyway. Yeah, I can see German, I guess, but there's nothing Japanese about this name. Not even in the spelling either. His first name D-I-A-Z-I-E-N and it's not it sounds like some like messed up goth kid name. It's not. Yeah. I keep calling him Diazian and yeah. we have to keep cutting because I say it wrong. It looks like Diazian, but it's Diazian. That's how he said it. Mm. It's just absolutely ridiculous. At one point, he met a woman named Sonny Blake. And I'm sorry that I'm going all over the place here. There's just so much to cover. And I want There's to paint lot. the vulgar picture that is Dyson Hostenkoff for you. a lifelong con man in every sense of the word. So Sonny Blake was a woman who had put a want ad in the paper for a end-of-life companion, if you will. It was more like a singles ad, but she was just kind of trying to get a little before she died, it seems, hey, which is fine. Yeah, that's totally Absolutely. fine. You go, girl. So she had breast cancer, and Dyson said he was going to cure her of breast cancer, and he also had the secret youth serum of life. And his youth serum was his own blood that he put in her body. Yeah. I think I read that he claimed that he was part of some sort of genetic experiment, and he himself was the living embodiment of the fountain of youth. <laughs> yeah, he said shit like this, and people bought it. So bought it. apparently what I understand about him is that he would suss you out real quickly to figure out if you were somebody he could scam. And he basically he'd walk up to you and he'd put out his feelers. He'd say something ridiculous and see if you'd call him on it or see if you'd get suspicious of that. And right away, if you were like, what? He would just walk away. He would just up and walk away without another word. Mm -hmm. But if you bid on it, he would just keep it going. And as soon as he thought that somebody was gullible, and again, not to victim shame, but he went after people who were more gullible or who were into conspiracy theories or just really wanted to believe what he was putting out there. So Sunny Blake actually went to a real doctor who gave her like six months to live. Apparently her breasts ended up enlarging from being infected 
because she wasn't seeking any actual treatment. Yeah. And by the time that she had died in 1996... Hassenkoft built her out of $500,000. And that's 90s money. It's so disgusting. I mean, I assume that she was terminal, but with breast mm-hmm. cancer, you know, you just wonder, could her life have been saved had she not, you like know, maybe, pursued this? Maybe got a mastectomy because sometimes that does help. If she actually went through some sort of proven treatment, could she be better right now? It, it, it's hard to say because cancer treatment, especially mm-hmm. around breast cancer, has come a long way right. since 1995. Yeah. You know, so. so who knows based on maybe how far along she was at this point. But this, she, Sonny was not the only woman he did this to. He no. had many people he was doing this to around the country. He said he had a cancer cure, was injecting them, and really it was just vitamin B6. Yeah. His blood or vitamin mm-hmm. B6 were the combination of both. Yeah. And we said he, you know, had stated he had invented a youth serum, but he was also telling people he was over 2,000 years old. Yeah, he old. was 2,000 years old. And and he invented the youth serum. Like, he, so many different ridiculous claims. And we laugh because who would believe this? But people did believe this. Hundreds of thousands of dollars he swindled from poor cancer patients peddling this cancer cure. And we only have Sonny Blake's name, but I would not be shocked if other people died because of this. And one thing I want to touch on, we forgot to talk about it when we were talking about when Gurley moved out. He actually had strangled her out in their front yard. An old man had to come break it up. It was actually a very terrifying thing. He he was a small man, but he did assault Gurley very frequently. She was a very little woman. Yeah, she was she five was feet tiny. tall and like 95 she, pounds. Yeah, she was five foot one, 95 pounds, yeah. whereas Hazenkoff was five foot four. I'm not sure how much he weighed. I'm sure he was just of average build. Yeah. Usually people like this are just swindlers and con men, but he was very physically violent as well with her. So the FBI had become aware of his schemes in 1995, and this is when they first started investigating him. Back to what Drewby <laughs> said of, yes, the FBI was tailing him. So Dyson attempted to purchase a bioreactor from, Philadelphia, from a Philadelphia, Pennsylvania company under the guise of conducting cell growth experiments. I just want to picture that phone call. <laughs> yeah, I'm, gr- I'm growing cells. <laughs> you're, you're doing his voice pretty well. Can you just like do some Dyson voices throughout I this? I, I, I may have to pause and get something prepared he tries to be oh, i'm this nefarious villain haha <laughs> and i would have gotten away with it too if it weren't for you meddling kid like that just this is him this is just dyson so this company refused to sell the device due to its potential uses and contact the fbi however they didn't arrest dyson i'm sure dyson falsified his credentials, which should have been enough, but he was just never arrested. Top of this, again, we said he had many former wives and mistresses. A Japanese woman in Canada gave birth to Dyson's son, who was named Dimitri, and this was in 1996. Shortly afterwards, Dyson brought Dimitri to New Mexico and told Gurley he was a Mexican orphan and they were adopting him. She did not learn that the boy was her husband's biological son until 1998 or 1999. In 1999, while still married to his wife, Gurley, he was engaged to three different women, including to one Linda Henning, whom you hear more about. about. A little bit. So I just want to kind of touch on a couple more things on top of this as well. Gurley was unfortunately infertile and... Dyson was pressuring her like crazy to have a child. They first got a dog to try to replace the fact that they couldn't have a kid. And the first dog quickly died because they either fed it chocolate or grapes. 
but it accidentally did die. I mean, I wonder if that was intentional on Dyson's behalf. Or, or maybe Dyson injected it with something. We really don't know. Yeah, it's hard to say. It's not like those things are looked into when an animal dies. But he kept pressuring her and shaming her because supposedly he was the last of the Hassenkoffs. And I'm sure he used this as some sort of reason why it was okay to cheat on her. Yeah. She didn't know his real name was Armin Chavez. She thought that was his real name was mm-hmm. Dyson Hassenkoff. And on top of that, he scammed this poor Japanese woman into giving the son up. She went and told him after she had already gone back to Japan and given birth to the son that the child had a rare genetic disorder and was better off with him and that he would give her all these answers. So he went off for like three or four days to a hotel and she had to sneak into the States through like Mexico. I don't know really what that was about, but that's what happens. She ended up giving the child up to to Hassenkoft here and didn't really get any other answers and went back to Japan. And we don't know much about this poor woman, what she went through, what she was told necessarily and all that or what it was like from her perspective. But he got the child and then later he put it up for adoption. I don't think he even had Dimitri for six months and he was put up for adoption. I know Gurley was trying to make that not happen and that was a problem. Yeah, I don't know what his justification was. But it happened and he was he was taken. So Linda Henning, who we just mentioned, was born October 10th, 1953 in Hollywood, California. And after high school, she worked as a lingerie fashion model and then later became a successful lingerie fashion designer. And she was kind of crazy. Yeah, she was nuts. She has these big crazy eyes, big frizzy hair, and just was kind of nuts. Although I, we'd probably hang out. She's into some kind of cool stuff. So in 1999, Linda met Dyson and became engaged because that's what we just do now. Yeah. And she broke up with her current fiance for someone she barely knew. Dyson's got that hundred speech craft, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. So Linda and Dyson shared an interest in government conspiracy theories and UFOs, and it's been stated that she was very intense and Dyson only exacerbated this. So we'll touch on that. There's a few videos you can watch and you see she is a very, very intense person. So after Linda Henning met Dyson Hassenkoft, which was at a UFO believers meeting that summer, friends noticed a marked change in her personality and beliefs, many of which said she started promoting conspiracy theories, including one involving alien reptilian creatures who secretly controlled the U.S. government by assuming human appearances. <laughs> this, is some Alex, this is some Alex Jones This is some stuff. Alex Jones slash Denver airport <laughs> shit. Concerned, Henning's former boyfriend even had a private investigator check out Hassenkoff's lengthy resume and warned her that almost everything he claimed on it was a lie. So Gurley learned that Dyson was attempting to place Dimitri for adoption with another couple around the same time. It is alleged that he wanted his wife to drop any custodial or property rights and began plotting something sinister. Gurley was actually trying to get full custody and half of everything he had. Gurley was last seen departing for work after her shift on September 9th, 1999. Dyson sped away into his driveway on Moon Street hours later. 
Neighbors reported that his face and neck were covered in black grease paint and he appeared to be wearing forest green or a camouflage printed shirt. Let's stress this. So he, he's literally his face and his neck are just covered in black. He looks like he's about to do some guerrilla warfare. Mind you, he lives in the desert. Yes. And we're not in any sort of desert camo. We're, we're playing Rambo here. Yeah, exactly. So on the morning of September 10th, 1999, when Gurley Chu failed to show up for work, her co-workers immediately became concerned about her welfare and reported her missing to the police. So she had a very, very good friend as well at work named Ernie Johnson, who was an older lady. And... Every single night before bed, the two would talk because she wanted to make sure that Gurley was acclimating well to life in the States. So this friend became extremely suspicious that it was something up because Gurley wasn't there. Gurley was actually really, really good at work. I heard they called her microchip because she wanted to know everything to the point where she was actually annoying people, but she ended up being like the best employee ever. Yeah, apparently she asked a lot of questions, but they noted that she only had to ask once because once you told her once, she got it and you know, never had any problems ever again, but she was very good at what she did. And she was a teller back in Malaysia as well. So it's not like she was inexperienced. Yeah, she had experience for sure. So Diazin Hasenkoft was the prime suspect in the investigation, but conveniently he had left for Charleston, South Carolina that same day. With this information in mind, investigators then focused their attention on Gurlichu's apartment and Diazin Hasenkoff's girlfriend, Linda Henning. Miss Lizard People. <laughs> Inside Gurley's apartment, the investigators found signs of a struggle and noticed a strong smell of bleach and immediately suspected a cleanup. Using luminol, they found considerable blood evidence, and it was enough to indicate that whomever's blood this was was not among the living anymore. So testing later determined the blood in the apartment was from, get this, Gurley, Henning, and a third unidentified source. So following the gruesome discovery inside of Gurley Chu's apartment, Police questioned Linda Henning. In her interview, she claimed that she believed that Dyson was an accomplished doctor and that she had no knowledge of Gurley Chu Hasenkoff's disappearance. I've also heard it stated that Linda Henning said that she thought Dyson was this terminally ill man. He needed somebody to take care of him. And she was basically his caretaker for a period of time. Very strange, but it seems like to most people's accounts, Linda Henning and Dyson were lovers. But she has given several different accounts of what happened in their relationship. And we'll get into more of the weirder ones later. She later stated to investigative grand jury that she didn't even know Dyson's missing wife, but police were able to prove this was a lie because investigators showed that Linda had banked at the branch where Gurley worked and that Gurley had been Linda's teller on at least one occasion. Linda Henning was charged with perjury for lying to the grand jury in October of 1999. I don't know. Like, if she really didn't know Gurley Chu and just was a person that went to the bank occasionally... I think it's reasonable to suspect that she didn't know her if she really didn't know her and she was really telling the truth. Yeah, I mean, I only used to go into the bank regularly when I lived in Seattle and I didn't remember any of my tellers. I didn't know anything. I was just there to do my banking and get out. Like, especially if they were having some sort of secret relationship like he was having with everybody and if she didn't even know Gurley. Yeah. Like, I... How would she even know that? Also, inside of Linda Henning's home, they recovered a... They put it down as a ninja sword, okay? I'm assuming this was a wakazashi or a chokudo, but a lot of people put it as a katana. A katana is not a ninja sword. 
It's more of a samurai sword, it, isn't it? It is a samurai sword. I know someone who killed someone with a samurai sword. You do? Yeah. Beheaded them. What? Yes. Mr. Gurney. I thought he shot her with a shotgun. No. Oh. No, this is another case we have to get into oh, yeah. at one point. Yeah, because Yergi knows all these people I know all these murdered killers. people and somehow never been murdered herself. <laughs> anyway, so they, they found this ninja sword. And again, I looked into this. This is all they have it labeled as, a ninja sword. It was in her attic, and it was proven to have been purchased on the morning of Gurley's murder. And it's been said that it was actually Dyson that purchased it from some sort of neighborhood ninja store. Neighborhood Al- Ninja Store. In Albuquerque. Neighborhood Ninja Store. Are, these, are there just stores where you go in there and you buy your ninja garb and your shurikens? So your... I don't know that this was maybe a self-defense store or some sort of gun store. I'm imagining a it as one of those store. one of those stores I bet in it the was strip a mall. Shop. I know. This I'm imagining it as this. The store at the mall or the strip mall that's got the ninja swords and the katanas. And the weed pipes and the tapestries with the skulls. But they're not weed pipes. The weed they, they ta- pipes. Remember, remember you go to these these shops and they, they're obviously, there's these for weed tobacco pipes use everywhere. Only. And they're like, this is for tobacco use only, okay? And like they have some flaming skull tapestries. I'm imagining this is where he got the ninja sword. Because it seems like that's the type of place he hangs out. Yeah. I, it's like I, the okay. silver feather. They sell swords, the silver feather. I don't know. They sold a lot of um, Native American art, a lot of leather, leather jackets. jackets with fringe. They sold kind of sometimes cool silver jewelry. I was but... very young, so I don't remember very well. I keep mistakenly thinking you worked there, but you worked for Wilson's. I worked at Wilson's Leather, unfortunately. Yes. So, Gurley's blood-splattered pink and orange shorts, green and white blouse, and green underwear were discovered along Highway 60 southeast of Belen, New Mexico, later that day. Or Belen. I'm not sure how we say that. Yeah, somebody please tell me in the comment sections. I'm sure you'll light me up. Her clothes had been wrapped in a blood-stained gray tarp, along with some duct tape with a strand of Henning's hair attached to it. Gurley's purse had been discarded on a nearby street as well. So prior to Gurley's disappearance, Dyson told his neighbors that he was dying of leukemia and had only five months left to live. So this man that's 2,000 year old with a youth serum that's lived forever, he's got five years, my or blood five, excuse is, me, five months left to live. I am the embodiment of a youth serum, but my blood is also my enemy. Ha <laughs> <laughs> Curses. Foiled again, blood. He told several people that he had planned to visit Toronto, Ontario, Canada, or El Paso, Texas for medical treatments. I didn't know you'd get medical treatments in El Paso. Maybe if you went across to Juarez, there might be some... Because you can get all sorts of good medicines there with no prescription. You can, and decently priced you like good medicine because we're one of the few countries that jacks up prescription prices. So I don't think he's going to Toronto for... I believe he's he's just going to Juarez, but whatever. He should have thought this story out better. I mean, I, yeah, I think he's just naming places off. Tucson, Arizona and, and Toronto, Toronto Canada. Canada. Yes, that's what I was thinking too. <laughs> Falco. Falco. Yes, R.I.P. Dyson left Albuquerque on September 10th and traveled to South Carolina, where he was apprehended several weeks later. He was initially charged with placing threatening phone calls to three people in New Mexico. I did not find who these people were. Do we want to talk about why he kept going to Charleston? Yeah, okay, go ahead. So him, 
Linda, and a third person who we will get to all had apparently put their houses up for sale to take off to Charleston, where he had some sort of magical portal that was going to protect them from the lizard people during Y2K. That That is true. Yeah, this was some Y2K. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, because this... apparently Charleston is Y2K compliant. What was it at the time? Like, were I they, don't know. Were I'm they just do- saying. Okay, they're just, they just wanted, oh, we're going to go to Charleston to prevent Y2K from killing us all. I mean, it's a, it's a nice place. It is. I enjoyed it there. Not a whole lot I can eat there. A lot of pork and a lot of Crayfish. shellfish. But it was a very nice place to visit. So in January 2002, in a strategic move to avoid the death penalty, mind you, everyone's arrested now. Dyson Hassenkoft pled guilty to the murder of Gurley Chu. Very strategic, uh, a.k.a. not strategic at all. In exchange, he was sentenced to life in prison plus 61 years to be served in the Wyoming State Penitentiary. Yes, so this was one of his stipulations. I will plead guilty as long as I can serve it in Wyoming State. He specifically requested to serve his sentence in Wyoming State Penitentiary. They wanted to be out of New Mexico, and he wanted to be in Wyoming specifically. I, do I, we know I why? Don't know. I do not know. I mean, Wyoming's I a beautiful know. state, but it, I don't know is. about their... Uh... It's very empty, but I, I, I thought it was pretty when I drove through it. I mean, at least he's not in the Mississippi prisons. I hear those are quite bad. Yeah, I heard those are bad, too. So during his trial, Hassenkoft was quoted as saying, society views murder as the most heinous crime known to mankind, like when you decide you're going to commit murder. And you decide you're going to trade life for theirs. I did that. She knew she was going to be hunted like the dog she was. And yes, she ran like a scared rabbit in an open field. She knew. You did that freaking perfect. I I mean, I don't know. I think it was okay. And I should mention that this wasn't his trial. This was during Linda Henning's trial. And his... why Why would he have to give testimony during Linda Henning's trial? Well... The defense thought it was a good idea to put him on the stand, which we'll we'll get to. Linda Henning's murder trial began in September of 2002, more than three years after Gurley Chu Hassenkoff's disappearance. And surprise, Y2K didn't happen. No, it didn't happen. We're all here and the lizard people didn't eat them. Yes. So she was the first woman in New Mexico history to face capital punishment. And Linda's friends believed that she had been brainwashed and drugged by Diazin. During her trial, Linda Henning's attorney, Gary Mitchell, and Monica Baca called Dyson Hassenkoff to testify in Linda's defense. So this is a ridiculous thing to do. I remember one person saying that a first-year lawyer wouldn't have called Dyson to testify. A first-day lawyer even wouldn't call Dyson to testify for a number of reasons. One, he's already convicted of murder. This man is a pathological liar, and he's a known con man. What is this going to do to help Linda's case? But nevertheless... They did it anyway. They did, and he testified that he was a reptilian shapeshifter and capable of being in several places at one time. He implied Gurley's body had been cannibalized. He proclaimed that he had masterminded the murder of his wife and that Linda Henning was completely innocent. He had said that he had planted her blood there, Linda Henning's blood, that he purposefully planted her blood there. 
He claimed that a man named Bill Miller was Gurley Chu's true killer and not Linda Henning, as the prosecutors had theorized. He had stated that Bill Miller, whom this is the first time you hear of Bill Miller, I cannot find a damn thing about Bill Miller and how he was linked to Dyson. I heard he was an acquaintance and he is the third person that was supposed to take off to South Carolina. You never hear him mentioned before this or really understand what he did. I read that he was a private investigator himself at some point, but just one source said that there's not a lot of information on Bill Miller. Interestingly enough, Dyson also said that the reason why Bill Miller killed Gurley Chu was because he wanted to hunt a human for sport. So I I don't know. He says he went in there, covered her in the tarp, and took her away. Hassenkopf claimed that blood matching Henning's DNA was found in Gurley's apartment only because it was the elaborate plan he had engineered himself and it had gone awry. So he said he agreed to let Bill Miller and his militia friends 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 kill Gurley. I have found no known evidence or testimony of him being part of a militia. Yep, because they needed to practice killing humans before the final showdown with the emerging New World Order. He said he didn't know that his wife was going to be killed for certain, but admitted it was his job to enter her apartment at the prearranged time to make sure no physical evidence was left behind. Instead, Dyson claims he entered the apartment and found the killers had messed up. Blood he presumed to be Gurley's was evident, and he had to do something about it. So he stated that he drove frantically back to his own apartment in Henning's car, which he had borrowed earlier, for a refrigerated vial of an unidentified woman's blood with the intention of planting it in his wife's apartment to throw off investigators. Often posing as a physician, which he is not, Hassenkoft has allegedly stored many people's blood as part of his research. Which is true. His fridge was allegedly full of blood. Yes. He claimed he thought that if he diluted blood from his refrigerator with acid and bleach, police would only be able to conclude that there was blood from two women in Gurley Chu's apartment, but criminalists would not be able to sequence the DNA. Okay, now you got to do it (laughs) because we got some quotes here. The only problem was when I stuck the vial in my pocket and went to sit down, it broke. The only other sequence of blood that I had was Linda's, so I thought to myself, I have to make a quick calculation here. I figured that the acid plus the bleach would degrade the sequence enough to give you female DNA, but not a sequence to diagnose any one person. (laughs) I hope you have in here when he said his final words about you will kill my victim for me. Do you have that here? No, you don't. I don't. We're going to have to find that. We can pause real quick, I guess, and try to find it. But if not, I'll just recite it from memory because his last words on the stand are just absolutely hilarious. So Bill Miller had been charged in the investigation, but with only five counts of tampering with the evidence. Regarding Linda's blood found in Gurley's apartment, Dyson had claimed that he had planted the blood there, as we know. Even though Dyson testified that he planted Linda's blood in an effort to confuse investigators, Linda's attorney believed that Dyson meant to frame Linda for the crime. On October 25th, 2002, Linda Henning was found guilty of first-degree murder. She was also convicted of kidnapping, conspiracy to kidnap, tampering with evidence, and four counts of perjury. Due to the special circumstances of felony murder and kidnapping, Linda faced the death penalty. So when I first saw this... I was a little surprised, but there's other things that were there. So apparently Linda owns six cats and 
some of her cat hairs, like hair from her cats, was found in Gurley's apartment. I can explain that. So think about it. If you have a girlfriend that has six cats, there's going to be cat hair all over you. It is possible that Dyson took them as well. Mm -hmm. Either intentionally or accidentally. I heard she also made some weird, bizarre claims that she was some sort of vampire cat girl. She claimed that she was, yeah, she was some sort of alien cat or something. She talked about how when her and Dyson had sex, it was so animalistic that they both would transform into cats. And she even opened her mouth to show where her fangs would come out. My first instinct here was that Linda Henning was innocent. I am still not sure right not now, sure. but she is definitely a She's pers- something. She's a person that clearly seems to have some sort of mental illness and very gullible. Now, that doesn't mean she committed murder. I remember there was a quote from her mother stating that she would believe that the moon was made of cheese as if a boy told her it was. Yeah, yes, I do remember that. And coming from a mother, that's a very... You're basically just saying your daughter's stupid. Yeah, and I mean, further saying that if a boy she found attractive came along, she would just basically believe his every word. When when I hear she's gotten life in prison, I'm just like, really? And there's this talk that... There was some lab testing and things like that that wasn't actually processed or Mm -hmm. was processed incorrectly. There's some controversy around it. And I think a lot of people just don't care because here's this really crazy woman saying these things and people are like, just sink her. And I guess when they put Dyson on the stand to defend her, the jury was basically sold at that point. The one other thing that I just remembered that I will say against Linda in this case is there were some letters intercepted between Dyson and Linda while he was incarcerated talking about how he would willingly lie on the stand for her and how he was going to do anything to make sure she was a free woman or something like that. And I'm sure that didn't help things any. You know, maybe that's damning evidence. I don't know. There's a lot of weird, weird, weird Things. I mean, that and the fact that she was making statements that she was the one who consumed girly chew's flesh and that she would not find the body because of that. Yeah, she literally said that she ate girly chew. And it's, I yeah. don't know. I mean, Linda did not get a death sentence. She ended up getting 73 years in prison, which yeah. is still a very long time. I, I really want to repeat what Dyson said on the stand about Linda. Okay, at the well, very please end, hold. Though. Okay. okay. Okay, I cannot find it. I spent like the past 15 minutes sifting through so many news clips, but he basically said, go ahead, killer. You'll be killing my victim for me or, or something like that. Like, acting like he wanted to kill Linda all along in this. Oh, it's just absolutely ridiculous. So Bill Miller, this random person that we've now inserted into the story. And, and again, this is all the information we have. Bill Miller received one year of probation for tampering with evidence, I guess. In 2010, Linda's perjury convictions were overturned by the New Mexico Supreme Court. However, all of her other convictions and her sentence were affirmed. So basically it was overturned for no reason because she's still doing life in prison. As far as Bill Miller's concerned, his lawyer has outright said, we know where Girlie Chew's body is and we're not going to say anything until three years from now. Because apparently in New Mexico... You have a statute of limitations of only three years in this case. 
even when it pertains to a murder, he only has three years. So he can give up the body three years from now and not do any time. Three years from like now now or from the time that this went on? I'm assuming now now. God damn, that's a good question. I was looking at old newsreels where they were saying this. So that had to have been back then. So it's had to be over with by now. And still to this day, I they guess. They don't know where her body is. Yeah, yeah, they don't know where her body is. So I guess. Maybe they're just like talking trash. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I was thinking of this. This just happened not long ago. But yeah, the time has passed. So it's just crazy that that was said. Imagine just having your lawyer put that out just to screw with somebody. Just makes no sense. This is, again, this adds to how weird this case is. So in 2020... Dyson asked a judge to vacate his sentence. In more than 400 pages, he makes claims and provides pages of interviews and evidence. The biggest claims are that his sentence was illegal and he was denied due process because of a collusion. His attorneys failed at their jobs and he was forced into his plea deal despite admitting to so many things on the stand. Hassenkoff claims prosecutors were colluding with Albuquerque police to hide evidence that would have exonerated him and Linda Henning. So... I don't know what happened with this. All I know is I watched when this hit the news and his lawyer was asking for a six months extension to provide evidence of this, I guess. I think they needed six months just to get this insanity in order. And his... I'm excited to see what they are going to uncover. His lawyer literally said, because the judge said, well, I can give that to you, but is six months really necessary? And he said, it is, Your Honor. I don't want to go into this, but it involves global connections. He literally said, you know, here's a straight-faced lawyer saying global connections. How can you be a lawyer? You have to be the best actor in the world to be able to do this and keep a straight face defending this dude. Well, you know, money will make you do things. I I would be cracking up and I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry because this is an awful murder case. This is terrible. I'm not laughing because the girly shoe, the poor woman. I feel so terrible. It's just domestic violence is never okay. But this not at all. This die is in freaking nuts. Uh, Like seems like he's out of a comic book. This is a comic book villain personified. And that's what's ridiculous that anyone can take him seriously. He still has not given up the location of Gurley Chu's remains. Authorities believe Gurley's body is probably within Socorro County, possibly along US 60 near Daytil, Dotil. I, I don't know how to say that word, but I'm assuming out in the desert. If you're thinking, oh, well, why don't they just send a search party? By now they would have found it. Well, this is the desert. A lot of people go missing and are never found in New Mexico and Arizona. And you just deteriorate because the elements in the desert very quickly. And there's so many animals out there that will eat you. They'd be lucky to find bones. Let's just put it that way. They'd be lucky to find bones. Like really dependent on the conditions, you're either going to be, there's not going to be much of you left very quickly or you'll end up a mummy. It's very likely that Girly Chew's body will never be found. I don't think so. And... That's really sad. That's very tragic. I missed all the funny, wacky things about Dyson, Linda Henning. At the end of the day, Gurley Chu is a victim of domestic violence. Mm-hmm. And... and to kind of clear up some stuff as well, a lot of people have covered this and said she was a mail-order bride. She was not. Yeah, exactly. She's not a mail-order bride. I mean, that stereotype is, you know, kind of racist in this case, applying it to Gurley Chu. But she was not a mail-order bride. She was visiting here. She met him. She fell in love with him. She came to marry him of her own free will. Granted, I think she was like definitely lied to 
Oh, she was 100% I know lied she was to. lied to, but like, I don't know if she would have made some of the same decisions if she wasn't lied to. It doesn't matter. It's still terrible. Yeah, it's still, terrible it's still awful. Like, and I think that's what a lot of people overlook about this case is, is a domestic violence case. I think most people handle your average domestic violence murder much differently than they handle this case. And, you know, that fact is unfortunately covered up by the wackiness of Dyson, which he should be made fun of. And it needs to be highlighted but at the end of the day this is a domestic violence murder and her parents are still in malaysia and they'll never truly know what happened to their daughter your daughter went to some other country and her remains will never be found i can't imagine what that feels like and it seems like a lot of cases when women come internationally here and it ends up some sort of domestic violence case a lot of them aren't found yeah a lot of them disappear and it's terrible. It is terrible. It's absolutely terrible. And now I think in this case, Gurley Chu would have been found if it were any other part of the country or most other parts of the country. Not only that, what if, like, I don't really know the layer of the geography off the top of my head right now. I don't know where Highway 60 is. This is a thought that just came into my head. And you might want to check with Brandon on this. Yeah. What if they drove over and put her on the reservation? It's possible. I mean, that's what they do in Canada. I mean, here's a little bit differently, but there are only there's only one major highway when we talked to Brandon and that episode about New Mexico. And I, I won't spoil it, but there is a, a New Mexico episode in the works. But the audio was so corrupted that I'm in the process of fixing it, but that that will be out eventually. But one thing that Brandon said to me was that there is one major highway that runs east to west. In New Mexico and one major highway that runs north to south and they intersect in Albuquerque. I just don't know what the jurisdiction would be if you were to dump someone over into a reservation. I know they had someone from like the FBI that would be there like helping out stuff I think when Brandon talked to us. They can request that they show up. They can request that they show up. So let's just say in this case let's just say they went and dumped Girlie Chew's body over into the reservation. Do the police the state police, whatever, have jurisdiction to go there to look for it. So this is my understanding. Somebody please correct me if I'm wrong. So in Canada, the reason why people murder people and dump them on native land is because the country of Canada will be hands off. They will not touch it no matter what. Even if they were asked to, they'll be like, it's your problem. You're a First Nationer. This is your land. It's your problem. In America, the jurisdiction is on the reservation. But if the reservation allows the FBI or the state police to come on and assist, then they will grant that assistance, especially if it's a murder case. So it's possibly very likely that her body could have been dumped in that way and no one found her. Her body could have been dumped anywhere in the desert. That's the problem. It could have been dumped anywhere or it could have been disposed in some other fashion I don't know. I'm just throwing some some ideas out there that just came to mind. You know, we're just conjecturing it. Literally, it could be anything. And unfortunately, I don't think this case will ever be solved. Even if you get a deathbed confession from Dyson. Which I don't think we will. You, you'll. Oh, I'm sure we'll get a deathbed confession. But I'm, I'm sure just, it's going to be insane. Right. I don't think it will be truthful. And if he truly does have TBI and brain damage and it persists, I mean, who knows what he'll say. 
So if you're listening on YouTube and you enjoyed this episode, please hit like and subscribe. If you're listening on any other platform, please leave us a five star and a written review. That helps us so much. These are the best ways you can give back to this channel. Ensure we keep bringing you content like this. There are also people who have gone that extra step to become our Patreon subscribers. So let's thank those people now. All right. So thank you, Eddie, Rowan, Marky, Holly, Ashley, Vu. Anna, Lauren, Serena, Chloe, Mark, Tara, Sophie, Neil and Karen, Dave and Karina, Madison, Dom and Liss, Jen, Mo, Jenny, Nora, Robin, Tom, Dylan, Kaylee, Welcome, Alex, Welcome, Jacob, yeah, welcome and thank Alex you, and Levi. Levi, our highest tier Patreon Yay. supporter. We will put up his picture right now. Also, happy birthday to Alex. It was his birthday recently. Happy and my, birthday. I, I think today, as the day we recorded, is his birthday. So welcome and happy birthday. Also, thank you to Eddie for <laughs> gifting us a new mic stand. So if you are a longtime listener, you will remember in our early days, we'd be talking and then Yergi's mic stand would just fall on the floor. It would completely just fall apart and fall on the floor. And we weren't very great at editing back then, so it would stay in. So the other day, I was going out for a hair appointment. I saw a Amazon package to our address with Eddie's name on it. And I was like, huh. So we open it up and there's this lovely new mic stand and it has like an attachment to put a camera or a phone. So we're going to go ahead and hook that up and maybe we will have some bonus footage soon behind the scenes of what we're doing here recorded yeah. on my phone. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to figure it out because I want to do more of that. I mean, eventually I want us to have, you know, a camera on each of us and make this like a true video podcast, but... We'll see. But either way, thank you so much, Eddie. This, yeah, this so helps very, very so much because Yergi has had a busted mic, mic stand for a very long, the bulk of this podcast's life. So, yeah, it's been a very, very interesting week as well. I also got a package from Serena in the mail. Thank you, Serena. Yes, thank and you, Serena. It had a spell bottle in it to ward against bullshit. And I definitely have needed that <laughs> lately. Yes, uh, Serena sends care packages from time to time, and they are very appreciated. Yes, there's very cool patches from Purdue from their forensic science yes. department. So we have those. We're going to have them make some true crime vests. Yes, we'll have to do that. You're the sewer, so I'll, I'll sew them on. I'll have to have you sew them on. But yes, thank you, Levi. He still has his GoFundMe going on for his adoption, and that will be in the show notes. Yes. So until next week. We love you. We love you. All right. Bye. Bye.